podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome to Freya's Free Practice Fridays, where the naming fumbling fiasco continues, which I'll get to in a minute. But we've got the absolute A-team here today. Welcome, Pommy T. How you doing? We need to band together, mate. Um, the hate from... Yeah, good. Yeah, good. The, the hate from James about the Dutch is just not what I call a supportive workplace environment. Not at all. Not at all. No, you're not much if you're not Dutch, and we've always said that. Um, we need to band together <laughs> for the good of the podcast. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. We should have bought some orange um, kit to wear just for this for this session, but uh, like I said, everyone's getting windmills and cheese and maybe an orange cape for Christmas, I reckon. Yep, definitely. <laughs> um, all righty. So as we did last week, let's get through some some news of the week. Um, wanted to get started, started with what has potentially given us just some absolute gold content um, by social media and everywhere else, which is the Ferrari livery. So obviously we're getting a new focus colour for them. Uh, yellow is very prevalent in uh, in the new livery, but then also drivers and what they're wearing. We're getting some absolute gold. Like I said, I've kind of done a bit of a, a deep dive into a few comments and pulled out some of my favourites in terms of people's reactions um, to, in particular, the new the drivers suits and um, and the uniforms for the weekend, some of which are yellow flags everywhere, or hopefully this yellow makes them remember that they have mediums, <laughs> Scuderia Renault, <laughs> which links nicely into Carlos didn't realise he'd be needing his Renault suit so soon. <laughs> that was one that got me. Uh, yeah. Ferrari's seventy fifth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ferrari's seventy fifth mistake of the season. Yep. Uh, homage to the yellow tyre left behind. <laughs> Despicable bees. Obviously, there's been a few um, uh, Minions references there. Um, are, these, are these looking like bananas waiting for a mechanic to slip on? <laughs> <laughs> and there's been some some great images of comparisons to um, Macca's uh, uniforms as well, making the comparison of ketchup to mustard. Tommy, <laughs> what do you think? Good move, I bad think... move. Is it their 75th mistake? I think if you're going to do it, go all yellow. Like, let's get the car yellow. Like, they're some <laughs> of my favourite Ferraris out there, the sports cars that are the, that full, like, bright, vivid mustard yellow. Let's do it. Like, this has got, like, what is it, the rear wing really and maybe some stickers here and there. Other than that, it's still a red car. I think let's do it. Let's go all yellow and make a real statement and go, this is how you do it, Renault. This is how you always should have been. Really show off that yellow. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I mean, it would have been a full banana boat situation, let's be honest. Yes. But, yes. yeah, it's a bit of a kind of... Half, half, half commitment um, from from Ferrari, which I think again a lot of people drawing comparisons to that and their their season so far. <laughs> yes. Um, other news of the week: Colton Herder. So I wanted to talk a bit about this, not so much actually in terms of the driver market, but potentially in terms of the whole super license thing. So, just a bit of background. Helmut Marco confirmed Red Bull's interest in running uh, Colton Herder at AlphaTauri, obviously coming over from IndyCar. 
But the question is whether or not there are grounds for him to be given a super licence. He's 40 points short at this stage. But what they're trying to argue is that the pandemic negatively impacted his ability to progress that that tally. Now, Marco has suggested this weekend would be when they would hear back from the FIA as to whether or not he's been granted that super licence, um, but there's no firm timeline um, from the FIA at this stage. Obviously, the question in terms of who it would impact would be Pierre, Pierre Gasly. We know he's signed for Avatory for next year already, but we've also heard that you know there's no interest in, in releasing mm-hmm. Pierre unless it's for someone exciting, quoting um, the name of Colton Herder. What are your thoughts on this whole thing in terms of, like I said, not so much the, the driver market, but should should they be letting him get a free go at a super licence? So, so I've I had a little read. I didn't do a lot of reading. That's that's the very lakeside driveway. As we do a little bit of reading, and then we're experts, obviously. <laughs> but from from what yeah. I could see, is everything's very FIA centric, and they decide how many points each championship is elected to give towards your super license. And unfortunately, he's been in some categories that haven't rewarded as much as others. There's a, there's a stipulation that there must be 10 full-time drivers, and I think that's the one that's really hung him up, is there there hasn't been 10 full-time drivers in the category that he's competed in the last three years because of the pandemic, and that's kind of the main argument. They're arguing that maybe his 2018 points should be brought forward, those kind of things. I think it comes back to we need super licenses. I think they're an important thing, but let's be realistic. This guy can drive a single-seater car. He can tick all these boxes. He can fit all the other criteria of safety and the entrance exam and all those kind of things. That should be enough considering the extenuating circumstances. And still we're three years past the pandemic. I feel like they have some grounds in claiming this force majeure kind of style extenuating circumstances for an, an exemption. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think it does kind of, like you said, it is very FIA-focused in terms of the rules around that and they've got pretty clear parameters um, in terms of those sporting regulations that determine the possibility of of obtaining a super licence. And I think, yeah, it questions perhaps whether or not people start looking at other avenues into Formula One if that's something that is possible um, in terms of going there's a traditional Formula 3, Formula 2 route into, you know, what is ultimately kind of the pinnacle of the sport. And if we let this go, will people start saying, oh, well, you can go race IndyCar and, you know, you get in that way, that type of thing. But it is a bit of a unique situation based on the impact on competition over the last couple of years in particular. So I don't think it's as simple as, you know, he's – jumping the line or kind of skipping ahead or anything like that. Like you said, it's been a strange couple of years and there are there are some, you know, like you said, the force majeure kind of arguments, which at first I actually I was like, no, this is stupid. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, but, yeah, when you read into it a little bit, you're like, oh, actually that's an interesting argument. Um, mm. I think what I also found interesting with this um, whole thing is just how much like you throw a name in there and then all of a sudden it's up for grabs everywhere. So even, you know, Haas got asked, like Gunther got asked in terms yeah. of going like, what do you think about Colton Herder? And he's like, yeah, he's not on our list. He hasn't got a super <laughs> licence yeah. and he's not on our list. Like why are you asking me about this almost? Mm. And he basically said, you know, we need somebody who's experienced. He's already driven in Formula One. We've done the rookie thing. Um, you know, we, we still have a young driver 
you know, currently obviously that's not confirmed for next year, but, you know, if we were looking at that seat, we wouldn't be going to have, you know, somebody who would be going into only their third year of Formula One and somebody who's never driven a Formula yeah, One that's, car that's a in very, a race very and is only practising, like... Yeah, exactly. But I just, I think I find it amusing. And it, like, like I said, you know, it's silly season and it's living up to its name this year in particular. But yeah, you throw that name around and we'll throw a name around and then all of a sudden every team is being asked asked about it. Um, but I do also enjoy how much it, it gets um, it gets shut down. It'll be very interesting to see what happens. There has kind of been some early talk, I think, this weekend in terms of saying it looks potentially off the boil, like it's looking less and less likely just in terms of that interest kind of waning and instead looking at um, people who already have that, that Formula 1 experience to fill the second AlphaTauri seat. Well, sorry, not AlphaTauri seat, but, you know, the Alpine seat, which would then have been relieved. Um, so interesting. We'll see what happens. We'll see some other new drive, well, not new drivers, but uh, less experienced drivers on track this weekend in, in free practice. We've got another Dutchie in Nick De Vries doing his free practice. I don't think there's a team that he won't have driven for in some no. way, shape or form by the end of this season, <laughs> but that'll be good to see, won't it? Yes, definitely. We saw a fair bit of him um, behind the scenes, like sitting behind with Toto and things like that. He's He seems like a very likeable very responsible kind of character, kind of the perfect reserve driver almost. But I I hope there's a future, but I'm kind of uncertain, to be honest, if he's ever going to get that chance to have a drive in F1 just because it is so competitive and we've got so many drivers right now who are probably more qualified and don't have seats, you'd argue. So, but be awesome to see him on track and see what he can actually do. We might get a situation like uh, Guan Yu Zhou did uh, the previous season where he actually really did well in his free practices and kind of showed that maybe this guy is good enough to get a seat. So fingers crossed for another duchy. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. Imagine if we had a couple of duchies, a couple of Australians, like the Perfect. takeover begins. <laughs> yep. I love it. We'll also see a familiar face though in Italian Jesus. Um, he's going to have a drive this weekend actually for Haas as well. Again, Gunther is calling every single person he knows apparently to, <laughs> to get in that car and see how it goes. I'm hoping that there's someone who's going to be watching who can give us a reminder that uh, that he's on track and that he exists. <laughs> I know. The poor guy's not going to get a chance. Is he? He's going to be out there in FP1 and the cameras will break or something or like he'll just be super unlucky and we won't see any of it. Um, I did see he had a, a really bright looking helmet though. So he won't be hard to miss when he's out there in free practice running around. So that's quite interesting. <laughs> Maybe he'll just, he'll let his hair flow in between that yeah. and the, um, the helmet is like anything to get attention. Yep. Um, so yeah, he's look, I, I feel for him in his career. I think it's, um, you know, obviously he had his, he had his chance and it's great to see that he's still racing um, and still involved and somebody who people kind of call when they when they need to or if there's an opportunity for him. But it, it doesn't seem like this is going to be something that turns into anything. No, I, I think I think he's kind of showed what he's got and um, this is just a, a nice celebration for I think here and it's Austin maybe is his, his other FP1 drive. So that's nice. That's a nice place to go hang out. Yep. Like that's somewhere that we'd like to go hang out. So can't blame him for going and have a drive and yeah. it's a work trip. <laughs> Who, yeah, it's a work trip. Who doesn't <laughs> want to go to Austin, have some yeah. barbecue? Um, 
this weekend could be quite an interesting one. We will get to predictions a bit later, but it's going to be Penalty City again. You know, we haven't had all of them confirmed, you don't think, in terms of everybody who could be set to take penalties. But on a track like Monza, when you've got a mixed grid, um, again, we're just kind of talking about news of the week, what's come up so far. I've got Hamilton, who's confirmed um, a penalty, VB, Mick, who's got a new gearbox, Sonoda, <laughs> grid drop penalty because he's had he's reached his reprimand limit, um, classic <laughs> Sonoda. But there's some others potentially to come when it comes to Carlos potentially and others. What do you think that could bring for this weekend in terms of uh, just that, you know, out of out of place starting grid? I mean, I whenever I think of Monza, I always think back to that qualifying a few years ago when a bunch of people didn't actually get through into the do their last run because they were all mucking around trying to get track position leading into that final lap and they all ran out of time and crossed the line after the clock had stopped. So I think we're going to see that again, but... Yeah. with the teammates helping other teammates with toes because we know how important that is around Monza too. So if you're taking a penalty, your incentive is to help your teammate get through to Q3 and get the best position they can because you know you're starting at the back anyway. So I think qualifying is almost going to be just as interesting as the race here at Monza. Uh, and I'm here for that because it is a fun track to watch one lap. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, in terms of the just how how important that team kind of element becomes, it'll be very interesting, especially if you've got Hamilton who knows that he's going to have a penalty and then you've got George trying to qualify up front, thinking about last weekend yeah. and the dynamic. You kind of go, oh, this could get interesting with George now potentially going to be starting very likely much further up the track um, in comparison to Hamilton and what will he do if he ends up in a supporting position. Um, both of them obviously towing the team line during the week in their various you know press conferences and interviews, but uh, that will be, be very interesting. But we'll dive a bit deeper into predictions um, a bit later on. Just wanted to cover some of the interesting comments that came out of press conferences um, today and all the various um, kind of interviews that are running on the Thursday. Let's start with um, Aston Martin and Sebastian Vettel. This is his last uh, European race of his Formula One career. He got his first win at Monza, which is, you know, that's a, I mean, I know this isn't his last race, obviously. He's got another seven to go, but there's some sort of nice kind of bookending finality yeah. to that. Um, and he said he got bored and grew a mo. Is that what you do when you get bored, Tommy? <laughs> it's true. Mine's more laziness, I would say. I just forget that I have a beard and a moustache <laughs> growing and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I really should do something about that and decide whether it's a moustache or if it's a beard or <laughs> cut it all off. <laughs> Maybe we're back to the manscaping sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's It's organic. It's organic. What are you going to miss about having Vettel on track, though, and around the paddock and, and hearing from him? I, I really like the elder statesman that he's kind of grown into. He's kind of the wise character, but he's he's trying to figure out the things that he doesn't like about F1, so that is probably more the environmental impact, those kind of things that he doesn't like, maybe the more stuck-upness, and he really wants to make F1 more accessible, and he's actually trying to make those changes by actively doing those things while he's still around. Um, I think that's been really good to see compared to, say, the Seb that all of Australia hated when Daniel was coming through and at the end of Mark <laughs> Webber's career. Like, it's a complete 180 for all of us to go, Yep, he's one of our favourites. Yeah. 
He, he, we're really going to miss that character, I think. Yeah. Oh, 100%, especially now. And he's looking like a like 70s footy player or something like that or, or tennis player between like the headband yeah. and the hair and the mo. It's, it's quite an impressive, um, uh, I don't know, look that he's got going at the moment. It is. Definitely something pretty bold. Um, in terms of other drivers who have been around for a while, we heard from Hamilton. Um, he did not take a breath when he got asked about Daniel Ricciardo potentially taking the reserve driver seat. I, I couldn't believe how quick he was to respond when he got asked. Basically, they asked him, you know, would you welcome Daniel as a, as a teammate if he took the, re- the reserve driver spot? And he barely drew breath when he said, Daniel should be racing. If I was managing him, he would be racing. He's too talented. He's earned the right to be here. And um, reserve driver would not be the best move for him. Um Unfortunately, he did also say, they said, well, maybe this is gearing up for him to take your spot, Hamilton, when you <laughs> leave. And he goes, yeah, look, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. No, I think Hamilton's going to um, be the Tom Tom Brady, isn't he? He's going to stick around until he's like 45, 50. And just, he's going to – you should have been done five years ago, mate. No, nah, I'm still going. I'm going to keep doing it. But that is like the most glowing review Daniel could ask for really, isn't it, that – that arguably the best in our sport has said he is way too good to be on the sidelines. He should be racing and it would be an absolute mistake for him to not be in a car. So that's all you can ask for. Just put that on his resume, send that round to all the other teams in a memo and just go, yeah. where do you want me? Where do you want me to sign? Exactly. A hundred percent. Like you said, what, what an endorsement. Um, you know, it's, you, you can't pay for that type of review. And I think it's just, it means so much coming from someone like Hamilton, you know, like we've all got our, our moments where we can be critical of him and, you know, how he can appear in front of the camera sometimes and, you know, he's whinging about tyres and whatnot. But at the same time, you you look at moments like that and you go, oh, yep, if you were ever in the bin, you're out now. <laughs> Welcome <Yeah>. back. <laughs> um, s- sticking to, to Mercedes, um, George very much kind of saying, look, we, we're, we're fighting for wins. Um, he's talked about their car, doesn't feel like they need to be reconsidering the car concept, feel like they learn every weekend, um, but definitely frustrated by their kind of baseline competitiveness um, in comparison to a Red Bull. Red, Red Bull. Um, but interestingly, did kind of point out on the back of, of the kind of controversy of last weekend saying, look, it's an equal playing field. There's no first or second driver at Mercedes. Um, interesting, everyone kind of towing the team line. Do you reckon that's the reality in the garage? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I think Mercedes are probably smart enough to know that Lewis can't keep racing forever uh, and George will outlast him. That is just no one has defeated time. Like I think they're realistic that George will be there after Hamilton has left. So they do need to consider that going forward. And if we keep making decisions that are all Hamilton-centric all the time, we're going to piss off George and he might leave when we know that he is worth keeping. So I think, like, we, we kind of talked about it in in the podcast earlier in the week, and it was Lewis rolls reverse would do exactly the same thing. Fair enough, when you're in the heat of the yep. moment, you'd be pissed off, though, wouldn't you? Like, if you kind of got hung out to dry like he was, that's not a nice feeling from the team that you've supported, they've supported you for the last eight years or whatever I think it is. Like, that's not a nice feeling. So I, I understand, like, the emotional side, but... Mercedes are always going to do this when they come back and really just tighten it up, get a unified front and just kind of make this beige statement that kind of doesn't offend anyone and is really safe and trying to calm everyone back down. So 
I, I expected nothing less. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're they're very they're very good at that, and it's not like they haven't had to deal with it in the past <laughs> either. Even with one of these drivers, yeah. so they know what they're they know what they're working with. Um, but it is really interesting to see this transition of kind of um, you know changing of the guard, so to speak, and and these newer drivers coming through and having to work with you know these people who were essentially their heroes um, and confronting that. And you you even we have even heard um, you know Piastri kind of saying, look, it's been really hard for me with Ricardo being the person who's so impacted by some of these decisions because he's my hero. You know, this isn't. This isn't actually easy, so it'd be really interesting to just to. It'd be interesting to be a fly on the wall um, when it comes to that. You know, new drivers, new way of thinking. They they're still ready to make the make the calls on the radio and everything else, but you know, it, it can't be easier as well because you know, they've got to put themselves first. But they're also racing alongside their heroes, which they tell us not to meet, let alone be teammates with. Yeah, so <laughs> can't it's be true. easy for them. Um. Another group who's kind of in that position is obviously over at Alpine where we've got Alonso. He will tick over 349 races, which will equal him to Kimi. And in true Alonso fashion, he goes, I don't really care. (laughs) He doesn't really care. Um, He just apparently just shows his passion for the sport and his ability to consistently perform high and basically says, you know, I'm going to exit this this sport with over 400 races. So, yeah. you don't get that if you're not as good as I am. He just full Alonzo. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care anymore, does he? He's just like he's out there doing Alonzo. He's not worried about the the team politics or any of those kind of things. He's there for Alonzo. Yeah, he wants to win, but I think he wants to win for him. He doesn't really want to win like a constructors championship or anything. Like he's not wor- really worried about his teammate, and that's probably a product of having Ocon as your teammate. Like, who's really going to care about that guy? So hopefully that changes, but <laughs> look where he's going. <laughs> exactly. No one cares about that teammate either. I know. Uh, he is just, I, I can't wait to see what he's going to be like over at Aston Martin in terms of the the lack of care for the, not, not lack of care, maybe that's unfair, but uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, there's been more interesting people to race alongside, put it that way. Yes. Um, but speaking of... Um, Speaking of his teammates, it's another helmet that we'll see this weekend is is Ocon. Um, he's got a tribute helmet to Michael Schumacher. So it's pretty cool, actually. Um, he kind of goes through and looks at everything on the um, on the helmet and how it relates to kind of how much he's been inspired by Michael Schumacher and um, you know, really something that has carried through his ability to get to where he is. So that was pretty cool, actually. And, I, yeah, I don't mind it. It's kind of it's a bit of old school. Um, and, yeah, I think tributes like that are – are really meaningful um, for for a lot of these drivers, like you said. They're either racing alongside their heroes, but um, you know they, they don't kind of forget the the road that's been yeah. hard, so to speak. Um, home race for Ferrari. Um, Leclerc's kind of said, "Yes, there's lots of pressure, but I'm trying to, you know, I turn that pressure into motivation." Um, you can't feel good as either of them going into this weekend, surely. Nope. Uh, I mean, Leclerc especially. That guy does not perform well <laughs> at any home race in any kind. Like his nah. his uh, Monaco performances are, are woeful. He's, he's had the worst kind of luck there as well. I just think this is a perfect setup for Netflix to record everything that Ferrari is doing this weekend because this is when you're going to see it maximum explode. 
And like this, this could be as good as that. What was that episode <laughs> they did when Mus- uh, Mercedes had their like seventy fifth anniversary or whatever it was, and they were all uh, at what was it the Nurburgring wherever we were? I can't remember whatever the German track was, but it yeah, just yeah, all yeah. fell apart, didn't it? It was it was chaos, and it was the perfect week to be recording. And I feel like that is how Ferrari's been going this year. Unfortunately, like they're gonna have a new like. New car livery, fresh like race race gear, and they're just gonna fall apart and stuff it up somehow. <laughs> somehow, and they'll find a new way to stuff it out, stuff it up. I think this is what's so. There's always something, and it's not even necessarily the same thing every week. It's not as though you know they just can't get their pit stops right. They're getting them wrong in different ways every time, um, and you know the decisions around when to pit and everything else, and then their bloody engine blows up, and it's just it's yeah. something different every time. So it's just like, <laughs> what new way of stuffing up are you going to present to us this week? But I, I do genuinely hope that that's not the case, partially because I just really want someone to put it to Red Bull. Um, you know, mm. it's. They're just untouchable at the moment, it seems. And I don't know whether it's going to be um, Ferrari or not this weekend. They're kind of – they can see a hard weekend ahead of them for sure. But they do also, you know, seem to be the, the ones who can who can potentially do that. And I, I don't think it's going to be the weekend that it's going to happen though. Um, but you, yeah. just, you just don't want, you know, those errors to be the reason. It's like forced errors in – Yep. In tennis, like if you lose because you do a double fault and you're like, ah, like don't don't let that be the reason that you lose. Mm-hmm. Um, but genuinely hope that that's, that that's not the case for them. Um, who else needs a bit of luck this weekend? Technically a home race as well is Alfa Romeo. So VB, he's had Tiffany design a new helmet as well. So I've got a few new hel- helmets Um uh, rolling out this weekend and his is so Italian. Like it's the most Italian <laughs> thing I've ever seen. It's just like Italy on a helmet. Yeah. Um, but he had some interesting comments to make, which actually gives a, a bit of insight, I think, in terms of why we've seen them struggle a little bit as the season has progressed, which is in terms of their ability to produce parts as fast as they need to. So obviously they had a pretty hopeful start to the season, we can call it that. And then they've kind of just dropped away. And then obviously there's been a lot of reliability issues and Joe's had his crash. But VB made that comment of kind of saying when it comes to the speed with which other teams seem to be able to produce commit or commit to produce and then apply their upgrades, Alpha's not working at the same speed, which was I thought was an interesting insight in terms of why we're kind of seeing that plateau over at Alpha. Yeah, it makes sense though. Like when you think about it, he's come from the pinnacle of that, which is Mercedes, when they can turn around parts in almost a back-to-back week, it seems like, and they're, they're there with updates that have, have come from the week before. You go to someone who is almost positioning himself separate of Ferrari now as well from what we are, we're understanding to maybe be one of those kind of new engine manufacturers coming into the sport. They might be prime for that picking so it would be very frustrating for vb to go from a team that was so proficient like mercedes to now a team here where it's like oh so this is what the rest of the grid's been dealing with which is just this slow kind of bureaucracy (laughs) and like we don't get parts like that we thought about yesterday they're on the car already like that doesn't happen here okay right this is this is a very frustrating place to be yeah yeah (laughs) yeah I would think so, but goodness, I hope they have a, a clean race. Like they just, mm. they just, it just seems like they've had endless bad luck. 
um, with this season. And as we mentioned before, you know, we had that ultimate reminder, um, you know, kind of halfway through each race last year, that reminder that Italian Jesus exists. And it's feeling a bit like that with them at the moment. Yeah. But then they do remind us themselves by blowing up their power units. So. I know. What are you going to do? It's... I hope that's not <laughs> what happens this weekend. Well, exactly. What are you going to do? Um, all right. So another feature of Free Practice Fridays named TBC is our profile <laughs> of the week. Now, this is a person who's actually had quite a bit of attention this weekend. She is what I would not necessarily say is one of the lesser-known characters in Formula One but doesn't always hasn't always had a lot of attention in particular until recently. Um, so we are talking about Hannah Schmitz, who is the Principal Strategy Engineer at Red Bull. So we're going to be talking a little bit about her. Now, in terms of the attention that she's had um, or that has kind of been floating around social media, which every single driver, team, you know, organising, participating organisation has completely shut down and Campy, you can go ahead and take off that tinfoil hat, is the idea that Sonoda's somewhat bizarre since different been you know been said it was a bit differential issue retirement last weekend was a ploy from Red Bull in order to help Max's race which everybody including Avtori and also Sonoda who was kind of annoyed about the whole thing in terms of going I was on for points why would I do that like yeah um and as a result as well of that whole situation is now got a grid drop because he's hit his reprimand limit so he was unimpressed with with all of that too but um, so she's kind of been in the spotlight a little um, a little bit more recently. But there's been some other moments. I just wanted to highlight a couple of um, moments where she's been behind some big decisions in um, in Formula One uh, before we get a bit stuck into her, her background. So we've got obviously Monaco Grand Prix, the pit stop plan, which led to Checo taking the win and also Verstappen on the podium. We had the... Budapest um, Hungarian Grand Prix, Max starting in 10th, making that last-minute decision to switch on so- and start on soft tyres instead of the hards, which was their plan. They had their whole strategy planned around it. She said, no, change now um, at the very last second, which we'll come back to in terms of the ability to do that, which I just find phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but throwback as well to Brazil 2019, um, which was pitting Max for a third time knowing that he would lose track position, but being able to look at their simulations and, you know, predict that he would get it back when what a race that was. I think it was um, – who was in second, 2019 Brazil? Was that Gasly was when he was, like, Gasly. leaning down to try to, like, yeah. make himself yeah. even slipperier <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to get across the line? Yeah. yeah that's the one. Gasly what a guy. That guy's so good at racing. Phenomenal race. Yeah. He's great. He's so good. Did you know that? Yeah. yeah, at Monza, the last winner before Ricardo was actually Gasly as well. I yeah, did know that. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, he's he's a race winner. He's an excellent driver. <laughs> and yeah, I, it's it's nice to be on a podcast with someone who can acknowledge that and understand that. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Um, but let's get back to Hannah. So, in terms of background. Um, she has said that when she was really little, she was just always interested in how things work. So in particular cars. So as a three or a four-year-old, 
just all she wanted to play with cars. Like, you know, parents would put all sorts of toys in front of me, but I would take them apart and put them back together as a four-year-old, <laughs> um, despite her family not being particularly into into F1 or motorsport particularly, um, that was just something that she was drawn to. So I always find it really interesting who would have thought um, to think about how these things kind of show themselves at such a young age just in terms of ways of thinking. But um, her passion for engineering really came at school and a really interesting insight here where she said she said that she felt really lucky because she told her teachers about her... Um, interest in engineering and they were so encouraging of it, which is not always the case um, Mm. and really provided a lot of opportunities for her to work with industry, Um, which, again, you kind of go, goodness, what would have happened if if that wasn't the case, if they hadn't really kind of said, right, you've got this passion, you've got this way of thinking, let's help you really kind of wrap your arms around that and provide more opportunities to you, especially as a – as a female who's wanting to to apply her, her way of thinking in that way. Again, just kind of going back to the importance of these early experiences, um, both as, as a kid and at, and at school. What did you want to do when you were at school, Tommy? Um, I don't know. I always wanted to do design. Like I knew that that was, that was something and I was always encouraged to do that. I did like visual communication. I did media and those kind of things. Um, my parents encouraged me to do like drawing lessons when I was younger and I wouldn't be in a position now where I can jump in and out of design and doing those creative things if that hadn't have happened. If I'd have been just told, shut up and go to uni and become yeah. a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, like I, I, I wouldn't have those because they were fostered in me so young and kind of acknowledged. I think that was part of the reason that I can still do those and it's now my choice to do those things. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's so yeah. important for for uh, for teachers teachers so important in giving those opportunities and recognizing that in students so to for her to have these incredible teachers throughout her education going you've got an aptitude for this it, it might be a high risk kind of industry that you might not get into but full support you you're good enough at this like that is that is just unbelievable and probably most of the reason that she's been able to get to these these positions that she's in now because of that foundation and um, yeah, a hundred percent. I was really hoping that you were going to tell me that you wanted to be a ballerina, and that <laughs> well, you've actually just raised a really small spot for you. But that's 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 fine. I, I did. <laughs> no, I actually did dancing from quite a young age. Um, I think I was in grade one, and I was actually quite good and won a scholarship. Uh, and then I got to high school, and you get bullied for things like that. So I quickly stopped dancing. So we'll never know. It was kind of the opposite of fostering that. And it oh, was, we'll never know. Let's oh, shut my that goodness. Down. Okay. Yeah. When ne- next time I come to Australia, we're, we're going dancing. I genuinely had no idea that I was touching <laughs> I on something that anymore. I thought was being absolutely <laughs> hilarious. That's awesome. Well, you do now. Okay. Our no, next podcast <laughs> is going to be on a stage. It's. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> um, so, Hannah. Hannah uh, then went to Cambridge University. She did her Masters of Engineering and interestingly, again, she kind of said, look, everyone wanted to work in F1. Um, you know, they were long-time race fans, a lot of them. Um, you know, they were kind of going, oh, great, how good was that race in 1995 when this person won? <laughs> and she said, I almost started questioning if I even deserved to work in Formula One because I didn't have that, you know, kind of historical burn kind of you know passion for 
the sport, which I totally understand. You know, it's you can look around you and go, wow. And, and, and this is coming from someone who didn't grow up watching Formula One, even um, yeah, with you guys when you're kind of going, yeah, I remember sitting down with dad and watching this or we, that was a thing that we used to do together as a family or whatever it might be. I'm like, I didn't find out about what it was until I was at uni <laughs> yeah. and I heard a really annoying noise and was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> yep. Yep. So sometimes you go, you know, do I – do I deserve to get to talk about Formula One when I haven't grown up watching it? Yep. It's that imposter syndrome, isn't it? It's you, you always have that kind of doubt. And I think it's so much more common than we give it, it credit to. Like the amount of times that I'll be sitting there in my job as a coffee professional and I'm like, do I know enough about coffee? Like I definitely do and I have to remind myself and <laughs> sometimes it does take talking to someone or answering a question and go, Geez, I do know a fair bit about coffee, don't I? Like I've been in this for 11 years now. I am a professional. I've done all this education and things, but everyone goes through it. And as as highly skilled as, as Hannah probably was, going into that saturated environment of people who are probably more verbose and forward with how much they love F1 to, to prove their point, she was probably like confronted by that. And it, I think that's a lot of industries, um, mm. especially when they are very male-dominated there is this tendency to like always kind of be boastful and showing off and kind of I need to prove myself and exert dominance almost to to cement my place and opportunity here. So, yeah, I, I can I can imagine how boring that space would be as well when you've just got these engineers who are probably like pretty, pretty boring people and all they care about is F1 and they're so like binary in that thought, whereas it sounds like... Hannah loved F1, but it wasn't everything. It was like, that seems interesting, but I love it for the engineering and everything else other than just the historical, like, boring F1-ness of it. Totally. And as you've experienced as well, just in terms of describing you know, your your own work in your own industry, as soon as you actually start applying those skills or even trying to get into um, that environment, you go, oh, wow, it's actually not about that. You know, that's actually not is what is going to make you successful exactly. in, in this world. And that's exactly what she found. So she started applying for roles and exactly realised, you know, actually it's not about how long you've been watching this sport for. It's about, um, you know, having the passion for innovation it's about thinking in the right way it's about being the right personality and having that enthusiasm and determination and that kind of being a historical fan of the sport isn't going to help you if you don't have those things so she came out of university started applying for roles and joined Red Bull as an intern in 2009 where she's worked since and she does talk about as you've mentioned um, working in a, a male-dominated environment and she's you know, relieved to be able to say, look, I've never had any really bad, you know, experiences or incidents, but what is critical as a strategist is that people listen to you. Mm. If people don't trust in what you are deciding is the right move, you don't deserve to be there if if people don't listen to you. Um, and that she said she struggled with. Um, it took her a lot longer to achieve in comparison to the males around her that trust um, and that willingness to, to listen and have the confidence in her to do her job um, competently and as far as she could see for no other reason than her gender. So she did say that, it, look, it took her longer um, for people to build the confidence in her to do her job, to trust her decisions and listen to her instructions. Um, but now she feels like she has that respect um, and the trust, but that getting it wasn't easy. So for her, that has been has been one of 
the challenges. Um, and what I really like to hear as well, and I think this is going to be a challenge for fewer and fewer people, but still lots, <laughs> still lots of women, yeah. um, is those who are kind of carving a path in these areas, you know, the first ones to achieve certain roles, the first one to race in certain series. And she's very aware that it's important for her to be there for other women yeah. in that representation perspective in terms of saying, going, oh, if I can see it, I can be it. Um, and being able to say, you know, th- there's other women doing it, I can I can do it too. And you can imagine that there, there could be a lot of weight on your shoulders um, yeah. with that, that, that seems like of thing. Such but a, she said, look, I'm... Seems like such a burden to carry uh, as well as doing your job proficiently mm. at almost a deficit of people's trust and confidence in you already. So you're already kind of trying to build up this kind of lack of respect, say, just because of your gender, you've also then got to be a trailblazer for your entire gender as well at the same time as being proficient. That's just a lot of a lot of stuff to carry as well when everyone else kind of as a male in that kind of same scenario is just like, cool, I just have to kind of be as good as the last person and don't make waves and people will just like forget and not really care if I stuff up as much or care if I do that well. So that's a lot of pressure to – and like you said, hopefully – less and less trailblazing is necessary going forward because so many great people have done this beforehand. Um, yeah. I, I, do you have any like things you can remember coming through your career, like post degree, things like that? Did you find that it was a, like a respect deficit that you were working off purely based off gender or something like that? I think um, not so much in my field of expertise because if anything that is a it is a female dominated area Mm. um i think where i've found it is more the situations that you find yourself in through those um through through that job so presenting to executives working with senior leaders and that type of thing and straight up you can see this judgment of going uh you're a young blonde female what do you have to contribute here quite frankly. And that's an interesting one um, because then I think what you really have to do is trust in your expertise, trust in your ability, trust in your competence and know that that work will do the talking for you um, and kind of say, great, I've got, I kind of see it not as a challenge necessarily as much as to say, well, I've got three sessions here. And if by the end of that time, you still don't think I've got anything to contribute, then you can find somebody else to work with. Um, And that never happens. So it's, it is interesting because I think you, that's when you kind of that, that backing of yourself and knowing that you're supported as well is really important. Yeah. Um, and that you can, you can trust in that. And I also say, again, also seeing it as an opportunity and that's what, what Hannah describes in terms of saying, you know, I see this as a privilege, um, and, and an opportunity as opposed to, a challenge, even though there's days where it's hard to reframe your thinking in that way. And, and that's what we are describing is reframing of, of your thinking. You can see um, a, a scenario and think about a scenario any number of ways. And while we can't totally control how we think, we do have options and reframing stuff is really important in terms of saying, well, this is an opportunity for you to be confirm your stereotype or it's an opportunity to me to, to prove my expertise. Yeah. So, you know, there's different ways of thinking about it. But if there was a moment that she had serious weight on her shoulders, it was when she came back from maternity leave. And the first race where she was um, on the pit wall making those calls was at the 2019 um, Brazil Grand Prix. And 
again, she made a big call and she felt like she had a lot to prove and she just said, look, I, I might have gone away and had a child. I'm still a strategist and mm-hmm. I have still planned for every single different scenario and I am still a professional and I still have the mental clarity to make these decisions and wouldn't be here if I didn't think I was capable of that. That's the other thing she did. She has mentioned briefly in one interview of saying, I wouldn't put myself in this position if I didn't think I was up to it. Again, just that sheer professionalism and focus on competence and wanting the best outcomes for the team, I think was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and she said, you know, I, I did have a lot to prove at that race. Um, and ultimately we actually saw her up on the podium as well collecting the constructors trophy which was just that was a big moment um and just I think just further to that that personal side of things she says that she's a planner she's like you know I'm a planner at home um and at work I'm just one of those people who thinks about every single scenario um every single possible outcome um but then you've also got to be adaptable and Mm. being able to respond to what's in front of you um and I just kind of go, wow, like you've just found this role that plays to your strengths in, in every way, shape and form, which I think is just awesome. Um, but it is a high pressure job. And it was I've, I've found it very um, cool to hear her talking about the strategies that she uses to get through the the high pressure situations. Um, and she has said, you know, she goes, is literally the job of the strategist to stay calm. And if you can't stay calm, you're not doing your job. It is the most important attribute um, for somebody in this role. And she has this really interesting thing that she does, which I've never heard of. Um, but somebody told her once that if you put your palms facing down and you, there's now there's pictures of her, you can go and look at it she'll sit on the pit wall with her palms facing down on the kind of on the the bench, so to speak. And she said, when somebody says, when you put your palms facing down, it helps you to communicate with clarity and to be more commanding. So if you ever see, if you get a, ever see a scan over to the pit wall and Hannah is sitting there with her palms facing down, you know that she is saying something in a clear and commanding, <laughs> commanding fashion, which I just think is... Yeah. Very interesting, all of these little things that people do that helps them get in the right space. And she talks a lot about meditation before a race. So she does full body scans, um, which is a meditation technique and a grounding technique um, to help her be grounded and in the moment um, and and to get herself into that, that calm state of mind. Um, interestingly, she's actually said that the most tense part of the job is not making the decision, it's after the decision to wait to see if it worked. Oh, <laughs> I bet, yeah, 100%. And she's kind of said, you know, it sounds like a long, so it sounds like a really short period of time now, but she said, you know, sometimes you have to wait for 20 seconds. You're like, did it work? Should we have pitted? And I was like, 20 seconds is nothing. And but you can imagine for them that is just you don't breathe. Um, anyway, very interesting to hear about her experience um, in terms of her role, her background to date, and also describing how she works with the factory. So this is something, again, when we look at other teams um, and how they're working really effectively and where they might be having kind of uh, chinks in their communication armour is just how work well they work with the family with the factory. So 
Um, morning of, they have um, discussions with drivers, engineers, Nui, Horner, in order to decide on what the plan would be for the race. And every weekend she alternates with Will Courtney, who's their head of race strategy. Um, and one of them will be at Milton Keynes and the other one will be on the pit wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do that to make sure they're both able to do both roles basically and do both as effectively. It's kind of that idea you do one better when you can able, when you can do the other one too. Yeah. But basically back at the factory they're running all of these live calculations and simulations and it's literally billions of them in terms of different tyre behaviours, pace options, weather strategies, and then constantly refining those models before the weekend even starts. And then they're doing live simulations during the race. So if we pit you on lap 34 as opposed to lap 37 and Max pits here and then Checo picks there, this is what may happen, you know, and here are the different options for that. And then providing all of that data back to the pit wall who will then make the decision alongside the race engineers. Um, And the entire strategy team, though, back at the factory, is there to support a single person on the pit wall who will make decisions. And just that role clarity um, that she's helped to build there as well. She said, you know, it was really important to us to come in and make sure every single person in my team knows exactly what their job is. They know exactly what data they're looking at, what they're contributing and why that's important. Um, Then when she's on the pit wall... It's all about having a clear head. They've got that slightly bigger picture view in terms of getting the feedback from the drivers. They're having discussions with the race engineers and then they can make that decision based on the data outputs um, and not have to worry so much about those calculations and simulations um, and ultimately kind of say, like, one cannot do it without mm. the other, you know, the, the strategy team back at the factory. And you, you hear Max talking about them a lot as well. Um, so they're obviously very informed in terms of how that team works, which she, she has said that for her and Will they make sure of. Um, but, you know, they're listening to every team radio, they're listening, they're watching everyone, every team's on board, every driver's pace and tyre performance and getting all of those data points back to the pit wall in seconds, which just, it's you wild. know, we know the technology and innovation of this sport that just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. It's wild, isn't it? I think that the thing that impresses me the most is the variables that are in their control, that makes sense and they can do whatever they want. It's the variables out of their control. So firstly, like weather and temperature and all those kind of things, but let alone what the other teams are doing. There is 18 other cars out there that are now impacting what you now do and change your decisions. They can't have prepared for that. Like how do they know? I mean, they've got some practice data, but sandbagging, like they've done a different tyre strategy than we expected for our interview. Like there is thousands of variables and it, is so confusing and I think this is this is what impressed me the most about this this role and Hannah in particular is the scientific kind of side of your brain working in conjunction with that creative and like like random opportunistic style of thinking which is almost in opposition for most people to have that ability to jump between scientific and kind of creative is actually very impressive to make it work in such a functioning way. Cause like, I, I don't know many people who can do that. Like if I ever have to go from one of those, it, I have to like stop, like refresh, do something else and go, okay, I've got to be creative now. I've got to go do some designing or whatever. I can't do it simultaneously and in seconds like they are. And it's super impressive to make those decisions as quickly as they do. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. And like you said, there's so many 
things here that wouldn't be strengths for a lot of people as well, just from a communication perspective either. You know, you might say you might be awesome at doing the analysis and understanding the modelling and coming up with a decision, but then being able to communicate that in a way that is yeah. clear, concise, commanding, um, so that there's no issues in the moment uh, is, is phenomenally Im- impressive. And a lot of those things will have been learned skills as well as opposed to natural strengths. But, um, you know, even from a communication perspective, she said, you know, I, I make sure that I communicate not just what we're doing but why we're doing it so we have no issues in the moment. There's none of this, why did you pit this person? Why aren't we doing that, this, that and the other? She goes, we're mm. going to do this. This is why we're doing it. Any problems? Yeah. Well, and you, you, know, don't, really and have, you don't have the time again, to do that on the people either, do you? You, you have seconds, so you need to be no. over that communication beforehand. And this is why. If I make a decision on the pit wall, you just have to roll with it, whether you agree or not, because, like, we're a team here and any indecision, any kind of wasting of time could be, mean that strategy's now in the bin anyway. So we need to all work as a team, as a unit, really well. That's It's a crazy, crazy team sport that is insanely intellectual and creative. It's it perplexes me that they can actually get that done. I would just fall in a heap and go, there's too many variables that oh, can't be controlled. Phenomenal. I'm giving up. <laughs> like throw it in the bin. I'm done. <laughs> it's all a mess. I cannot <laughs> predict. Computer says no. <laughs> yeah. Computer says no in Tommy's brain. It's yeah. uh, it's not how it works. But awesome to highlight Hannah Schmitz. Like she's doing a phenomenal job. I find her a fascinating person, like you said, in terms of how her brain works, her experience um, and the things that she's managed to focus on to get her to where she is today so I think she'll she's still got a a very long and um, successful career ahead of her also ahead of us this weekend Tommy Monza predictions Um, what how's that fucking how's it segue Um, (laughs) what are you looking forward to (laughs) I was about to swear and then I realised that James would yell at me Um, uh, what are you looking forward to what do you think is going to happen give us give us your hot tip my hot tip um I don't know. I I, I enjoy I a soundboard. Yeah, you need a soundboard. We put that in the budget. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I really enjoy Monza. I think though these cars are going to make it really easy to overtake uh, on such a fast track like this. I think there was worry that it wasn't. I was like, I think these cars are going to have enough DRS and down those straights, they're just going to be sitting ducks for those slower teams. So even if the back markers end up qualifying better because of engine penalties, et cetera, I think we're just going to see the likes of the Ferraris and whoever else has penalties just sail back to the the kind of top eight, um, which is why I think the qualifying could almost be more exciting. So I'd say tune in to the Saturday night. Let's watch some chaos. Let's watch some people qualify out of position. Maybe they, <laughs> they don't get their towing strategy right. There could be some chaos. We do often get some, um, some people spinning off trying to get the most because there is quite large runoff, so they do take more risks. So I think that's going to be the most interesting part. And then, unfortunately, I think it's going to be probably Red Bull who are fast. They're going to just rip that rear wing off and just go super fast uh, and, and probably end up <laughs> with two people on the podium. I'm looking forward to just seeing cars with, with no rear wing. I think that's what's going to happen. It's, gonna, yeah. <laughs> it's like, how do we get less downforce? <laughs> just get rid of it completely. That's um, it. Interesting, they've, 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 reduced, they've reduced some of those runoffs, so I think, I don't know how, how much by, like they're down to about two metres. Um, okay. So there's been a couple of little adjustments to the, to the track. Um, nothing that I think will really impact it, you know, give anyone advantage or anything like that. They've, you know, resurfaced a few turns. Um, 
the asphalt runoff has been reduced to two metres um, in a couple of spots, so 10, 11, and then between eight and 10 as well. And they got rid of the, um, the sausage curbs as well, the, so between four uh, and yeah. five, which I think is a really good move because that's, um, you know, a notoriously kind of dangerous yeah. feature of a, of a few a few tracks. Um, so, yeah, I'm so pretty happy to track that, limits that guy in most of the driver's hey. seem to... Yeah, they're going to just yeah, be all I over track so. limits. I think that... that yep. <laughs> yours get deleted, yours get deleted, yours get deleted. So oh, it's going to make qualifying um, even even better, as you say. So yep. that could be interesting. Um, it could change things up a little bit, but again, it'll be a change that is the same for everybody. Um, as we all know, super low downforce track, probably the lowest of, of the season really. So I think quite a few teams kind of saying, look, we don't really build a car just for this track because nothing's quite like it. Um, that straight line speed is going to be super important. So we're going to be seeing a lot of setups to try and reduce drag. No, just taking, just like peeling real rear wings off, I reckon. Just take it off. Um, yeah. But based on just <laughs> take that out of context, um, but based <laughs> on kind of spa performance, uh, Albon's going to get points. Okay. Alpine's absolutely going to dominate McLaren. Yep. Yeah. Haas are not going to get points. <laughs> Hate to say it, but even yep. they know it. Like K-Mag was like, yeah, we're ready to take a hit this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what's what do you reckon for podium? I think you're going to have you say? Both, both, Red both Red Bulls and I think, I think probably a Mercedes. I think they're looking quick. I think they're going to rip off that downforce and then it's probably going to have to be George, isn't it, if, if Hamilton's going to be at the back. But I think, yeah, both the Red Bulls. Um, I've got a question for you. What what do you think the uh, the time is going to be before you're sick of the Tifosi and people saying Tifosi and <laughs> us being Italian-centric? Because that word infuriates me. Why don't we just say fans? I just can't do it. So I wonder if you're I in the same boat. I, yeah, and I also I'm, like, trying to get the, like, the def- def- definitions right in terms of going is it the Tifosi, a Tifosi, Tifosi Collective. Like, I don't even know what the grammatically correct way of using the word is. I'm sure somebody on Discord, Discord would be able to tell me. Help. But I was like, it's not even specific to, yeah, help us out. No, I'm, I'm sick of it as well. And I'm like, why does it only apply to you? Like, everybody yeah. else has fans and it's just a collection of fans. So, I know I'm with you. <laughs> and also, they're like, I can't wait to hear, um, <laughs> like, I don't know who's commentating this weekend or who we'll get, but we'll probably get like a Scottish version of it. We'll get 310 <laughs> British versions of it. And then maybe we can we can dial in, um, uh, I don't know, a Nico Rosberg who doesn't know where he's from. We can get a, a strange <laughs> description, like, you know, pronunciation from him. Yeah. Um, it's just great. I remember that from, from Montreal in particular because that was one of the first places where I had a lot of different um, kind of accents around me, including... American, Canadian, that type of thing, French, and everyone's different kind of pronunciations of people things. But the one which really stuck out was Ocon. And all of a sudden, like the British became super British, like Ocon. And then we had <laughs> the Canadians were more like an Ocon. And then we had the Australians like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then <laughs> we had, so <laughs> I, we're going to get the same thing for, for, to Felsi, uh, yeah. this, this, <laughs> this weekend. Like the scooter is though, another one too, I'm isn't it? I'm just gonna, it? Sc- yeah, scooter. Oh, just yep. shut up. Just, just rip it off, just like the rear wing. T 
take it off. Um, yeah. Though what I really want to happen is for science to put it on pole. I reckon that'd be good. Um, Come on, they they've been better in qualifying, and he's he does well in qualifying, even when he doesn't think that he's going to. Um, a lot of the time, so I think between, um, yeah, I did, that's that's my real hope for this weekend. So signs on pole. I don't know about Mercedes. I reckon they're going to be less competitive than last weekend, um, but better than Spa. So I think they'll still be up there. But yeah, Max is going to win. I'm going to put it in as, oh, who's second? Um, George. And then George. Alonso. Oh, I hope so. Like Science is going to put it on pole, but then his team's going to bin it. <laughs> and he won't get any points. <laughs> that sucks. I don't want that. Come on, just once. It does suck. No, I, I don't want that to be the case. But all right, there we go. Predictions are done. So it could be a very interesting weekend. Um, according to Tommy, don't bother with the race, just watch qualifying. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but that's it for Freya's Free Practice Fridays. Um, oh, I haven't mentioned we had some interesting contributions for our um, for the name. We had TGI Freya's Free Practice Friday Drinks. We also had Freaky Freya's Free For All. I'm not sure about that one. Don't know, don't know about that one. Freaky Freya does. It's it's a weird one. I don't know if I like it. <laughs> Is it? I don't think I like that. Um, no. I see you like the Freaky Friday thing, like the movie or yeah. whatever. But it, no, the Freaky went before Freya, not Friday. So yeah. <laughs> not sure what to make of that. Mm. Yeah, keep we'll getting just suggestions name it in though. The hey. fiasco. Yeah, that's it. They're wildly entertaining. Yes. Alrighty, that's a wrap for this week. Keep sending in your ridiculous names because besides Tommy, none of us have any type of creativity to, <laughs> to mention. But don't forget that you can support the show by either subscribing to our YouTube channel, grabbing some merchandise, um, your NordVPN subscription, or jumping onto our Patreon link, which is in the bio. But thanks for hanging out with me, Tommy T. Anytime. It was great. It was great. All right. See you at qualifying. <laughs> I like that you're in charge. This is easy. I'm just gonna. I'm here just. I'm t- I feel like campy now. And there's our call out for the for the end of the episode. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.